Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. My name is Stacey Schubitz. I'm here with my colleagues and co-hosts, Melanie Meehan and Amy Ellerman. Two Writing Teachers is a meeting place for a world of reflective writers. And here on the podcast, we're excited to talk about ways to create, lead, and sustain joyful and productive writing workshops. Let's work together, inspiring and empowering students to be competent, brave, and confident writers. Welcome back. I am so glad that you are here today. I am chatting with my colleague, Melanie Meehan, about charts. And unfortunately, our other colleague, Amy Ellerman, is not with us today. So as you know, we are new to podcasting, and our original recording had some technology hiccups. And originally, this episode was recorded with the three of us, but due to scheduling issues, because full transparency, it's late August, and back-to-school time is really hectic, it's just the two of us today. So welcome, Melanie. Thank you. Good to be here. Awesome. I love talking to you about charts. I am always impressed when a post of yours runs on two writing teachers about charts. I love your chart books, and I feel like <laughs> my go-to person when I want to think about how to make charts more meaningful for kids. So let's start off and just have you talk to me about why charts matter. I feel like I spend my life thinking in charts, right? It's like, hmm, how could I make that a chart? Like, what can I do with that one? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's like... That might say something about you. I, I worry about what it might say about me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. No, um, no, moving on. But, you know, just outing myself and sharing the the introduction to the the last post I wrote about charts, I did walk into my mother's house and on the side of her refrigerator was um, a procedural chart that one of my daughters had made for her about how to order food. Um, I love that. She, right. Like. And I looked at it and it wasn't it wasn't a set of directions to me that Claire had made. It was a chart. I was like, oh, she's Claire made a how-to chart for my and mother. She set her up for independence. And that's what we want to do with kids too. So I thought that that was a great story to share because that is what we need charts to do. Right. I think that that's the thing that I would highlight right now in the post um, at the beginning, that charts are such an important scaffold for building independence for kids. And that's exactly like what I would say, think about. Um, they... In, in, in a classroom, right, there is a teacher, but there is the opportunity to have silent teachers all throughout the classroom. Mm-hmm. And those are the, te- those are the teachers in the classroom that don't talk, but serve as supports for kids. And charts are those things that serve as supports for kids that they can lean on and use when a teacher isn't available and, and really just serve as and a source of instruction and reminders for kids. So I do think they're just an unbelievably important thing to build with and for kids in classrooms. Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned them as those silent teachers. That's how I think about mentor texts, which is not what we're going to talk about today. But I've never really thought about charts as being that additional teacher in the classroom. And they really are. So you're me about me think about a chart again, like the different silent teachers in a classroom. Right? 
charts, you have mentored texts, you have partners. Like, well, they're not silent, but whatever. Yeah, keep going. See, you're just <laughs> charting. You're always charting. Um, talk to me about different types of charts. Like, um, what kind? What I mean, yes, we have our you know strategy charts and our teaching point charts, but like, go deeper. What else? What can we do with them? Yeah, I I think that. Charts involve like a lot of language and understanding for teachers and the people who make them. Um, and, you know, frequently I hear them called posters and it's it's sort of a synonym. I lean on the word ch chart as opposed mm -hmm. to a poster. Like we're we're building this chart of information. Um, and poster and feels so finalized. And a chart's not a yeah, finalized thing. Is, like a poster feels like a product, mm -hmm. whereas a chart's something you build. Um, but I think that, and, you know, this is, again, uh, me leaning and standing on the shoulders of other people in terms of how I categorize charts. And at this point, I'm not sure I could even say this comes from this person or that person. But I, I do categorize charts. Um and in my head, for, for my own edification, I think about anchor charts as a mm -hmm. separate category. I think about strategy charts as a separate category. And I think about procedural charts as a separate category. So Claire made my mother a procedural chart of how to do something. Mm -hmm. And I love having procedural charts in classrooms, right? Like... You know, here is, yeah, like if you are if you are starting a narrative story, here are steps in the process that you can follow. And, you know, the steps are muddled and they're recursive sometimes, but there are steps that are involved and kids can look at that and access it. Yep. Um, but then if I'm thinking about an anchor chart and. There is a, there's a differentiation that I would make. An anchor chart, in my mind, and it helps me to think about it this way because it helps me build them differently, mm -hmm. um, it enumerates what I expect in a certain piece of writing. Say more. So if I, I might have a information anchor chart, here are the things that I expect in an information piece in this classroom from this unit. And that might be something that I introduce to students at the very beginning of the unit so that they have that expectation clear front and center. Mm -hmm. Or it could be something that I build with them throughout the unit. Um, or I could do both. I could initially introduce them and then go back and build it and show them how we're getting there throughout the unit. Sure. Um, but an anchor chart for me encompasses the standards and expectations and learning targets of that unit. Right. Um, and then probably the one that I make the most often. Strategy charts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Right? Like, here are the different ways that you can do this. And to me, those, those are so powerful because that's really honoring the agency and the decision-making of kids that, that whenever you are writing an introduction, you have certain strategies that you can lean into that mm -hmm. can hook readers. Yep. Um, when you are working on your narrative writing, there are certain strategies you have in order to develop that piece of writing. And here they are. 
Yes. And like, I just, I do find myself leaning into those strategy charts, oftentimes with the header at the top of them being a question, like what are the ways writers can, and then here are the different ways. Yep. Um, That might be a chart that I create over several days or even throughout a workshop, I might give them two strategies, say in a mini lesson, another strategy in a mid-workshop interruption, and maybe even a final strategy in a share, depending on what it is and how it goes. But those are kind of fun to make. So I think that one thing that many teachers struggle with is not the creation of the charts, but how to teach kids to use them effectively. Because too often, um, students know where the charts are, but they're really not using them as a teaching tool. So what are some tips that you have for getting kids to learn how to use the charts both effectively and independently? Yeah, so maybe part of that goes back to having kids involved in the creating of the charts. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a, that's a big deal. And I will say, you know, and, and I'm, it's easier for me to access a list of things that I need to do if I've made the list. If, if somebody else has handed me a list of things to do, for whatever reason, it doesn't always make sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I need it to make sense for students. And sometimes I think, or most times, it makes the most sense to them if they've watched that get created over time. Mm -hmm. or they've even been part of it. Sometimes what I'll do, and this is kind of a cool thing, is if I, especially if I'm doing an inquiry lesson Mm -hmm. and asking kids to contribute, like, what are the ways you guys, like, what are the different things that writers can use? And um, I'll put their initials or names after the contribution. So I have a little point of assessment when I look at the chart of seeing who's contributed, like who knew something. But the kids have that ownership of the chart. And if I'm working with them, I can be like, you are the one who said writers can use ellipses in their writing if they want to control readers. Like, that was your idea. Where's it showing up in your writing? Um, So certainly making sure that kids are represented and seeing themselves as co-creators helps them learn how to use those charts effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to just jump in with one thing. I think that sometimes we want to put initials on there because we don't want to take the time to write out a full student name. But I think that there's a real power in writing out the child's name on the chart for whatever it is that they contributed, not just because they can see it a bit more clearly, but they really see themselves. It's not like, oh, was I the... Was that me? Yeah. yeah was that me or someone or one of the other three kids who have the same initials as me? I think, right. it's just, I think it just clarifies and it really, um, it just centers kids for their contributions. It centers kids. Um, I think, you know, talking about centering kids on charts, if there are ever ways that you can put kids' pictures on charts or mm-hmm. kids writing as the examples on charts so that they're seeing either their own faces or their own writing on the charts. That's a really powerful thing. Yeah. So very huge. Um, again, 
they're not they're they're not they're not being made to get laminated and carry on from year to year they're being made for that group of kids in front of teachers you know going back again to that mantra of is it it's either made with you or for you mm-hmm. in this classroom um they're more apt to use it so that's something um but i think you know going back and and thinking about teaching kids to use charts effectively, if you are seeing kids not using charts, then there's a couple of things that could be going on, right? One is that that chart doesn't make sense to them for maybe there's too much writing on it. Maybe they weren't part of it. Maybe it's not relevant to where they are, but you kind of have to ask yourself what's getting what's getting in the way. What could the problem be? Yep. Um, or they don't know how to do it. And if they don't know how to do it, um, but you honestly are like, no, that's a relevant chart and it is the, the right amount of print and it's got everything that I need on it, then maybe it's that you have to give a little mini lesson on how to use a chart. Like, Oh, it's always a time to teach how to do things with a mini lesson. And that's a great mini lesson. And it's a mini lesson that's not just a one and done, but it might need to happen a few times in a few different ways. Right. And you could create different ways of using the charts, right? It could be that um, you create small versions of the chart and put them next to it and kids can go and take it and bring it to their desk Mm -hmm. so that they can have access to it from a closer vantage point, because sometimes we need that. Sometimes it's not that good to look up and look down and look up and look down, right? Sometimes you want to have it right next to you as a reminder. Um, You might stick some charts and smaller versions into like those, you know, those menu frames that restaurants have where they put the daily specials in. I do. Like, right perfect things for making little mini versions of charts. And if you snap a picture of it and print the picture, you can create those. That's so, perfect. Um, and you can teach kids that sometimes you're going to go up and take that frame and bring it to your desk and use it and then return it almost like a library. Right. Um, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes, and I've done this before, so it's, you know, an admission of guilt here. I have been guilty of making mini charts and giving it to kids and they put it in their folder and then they just have so many charts in their folder and they're really not using it. The majority of kids are just not using it. It just becomes stuff that fills up the folder. So I think that the menu idea is really powerful because we're not filling our writing folders with stuff we may or may not need. We're grabbing something when we need it, we're using it, and then we're returning it. Kind of like a menu. Kind of like a strategy chart. Like here are the different ways that we can use charts. Like we can look around and have our eyes fall on the big chart that's on the bulletin board. That's one way. We can go get a small version and bring it and keep it in our folder if we remember to access it. It's another way. We can get the menu that's plastic and stick it right in front of us. That's another way. Right? Like you can teach into how you use a tool. Um you know, in much the same way that my brother-in-law would teach me how to decide on a screwdriver versus a drill press. Like, you know, here's here they are and here are the choices and the pros and cons and what you might need them for. Right. 
I could use that mm-hmm. instruction, but that's another story. Uh, so. That's a whole other story. Dad, mm-hmm. There's a lot. <laughs> so um, back in the day, yeah. I sometimes, another admission, um, laminated charts so that I could use them from year to year. And then I remember one summer going to the teacher store and buying a very large cardboard box, maybe two, um, that I could put charts in that I wanted to save for the next year. And once I accumulated all this stuff, all these old charts, I had these boxes and I was ready to leave New York and move to Rhode Island and decided I really shouldn't bring these. And not just because there wasn't room in the moving truck, but because what worked for one group of kids isn't going to work for another group of kids. So I learned on that move. I learned a lot of things when moving, but that is one of the things I learned is that like purging something that isn't, you know, it just can't go to the next year. Like it's okay to purge it, even if it was a really great chart. So let's talk a little bit more about fading and retiring charts, not just at the end of the year, but let's talk about how we go from having charts being front and center in the classroom to putting them into the background and such. Yeah, I feel like you bring up a lot of things like, right, and I feel a little bit like a broken record in that charts work best when they're for the kids who are watching those charts get made. Yeah, like that's, that's how they will, that's how it's most likely that they'll interact with them. Right. Um, You know, one of the things that I love doing, and this is a little of a side, but is going in and asking kids what helps them in the classroom and inviting them to go and stand near something that helps them in the classroom. And you could certainly tweak that to, you know, go and stand next to a chart that helps you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can get a read on what charts are helping kids. So that leads me into thinking about, um, how how to both fade a chart, if mm-hmm. you will, and then how to retire one altogether. Okay. And I would go back to saying and thinking about the fact that charts are scaffolds and they should be designed and thought about as scaffolds. So they're designed to be a silent teacher, but really the goal is that kids become independent and develop their own agency. And the more that kids internalize the skills and the strategies that are on those charts, then the less they need to look for them. Right. So once they don't look for them or the majority of kids in the classroom don't look for them because they've had enough opportunities to practice them, then that chart can either get smaller on the wall Mm -hmm. or get moved to a place behind another. So, you know, sometimes kids will know to lift a chart up to see another one. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, and this is like a constant conversation I'm having about whether charts should be digital or whether charts should be visual in classrooms. And mostly I'm like, they start as visual. Like they start as visual, you put them on the wall. I think a step in the process of fading them can be that kids who are technologically savvy can have them as digital choices. Mm -hmm. But then they have to really know and understand that there is a chart that we made together that reminds me of the different ways I can start 
start my introduction right. and they have to go and look for it. So it's, it, it's fading into that cognitive understanding that I, I need a tool and there's a tool and I know where to go to look for it mm-hmm. as opposed to there's a tool. Let me look around and find it. Right. Um, and, you know, that's a stage in that process of fading a scaffold, if mm-hmm. you will. I don't know if I'm making perfect You're sense. Making, you are making sense to me. You are speaking my language. And um, I think wall space is a true commodity in classrooms. So anytime that we can fade things that aren't being utilized by kids into the background, whether it's a smaller chart or whether it's digitizing it and making it accessible in a shared folder, I think we are working towards really keeping kids front and center about, you know, how to use charts. So Melanie, this is making me think back to that time that I was getting ready to move. And I had those charts that I didn't want to move, but I also thought were so good. I didn't want to let go of them. And I remember taking photos of them and saving them in a digital file. So how could that help? Yeah, no, I think that that's a great thing to do is like, Create folders on your on your phone or folders in your computer, whatever works for you from digital organization standpoint, and name them. I have plenty of folders on my computer, like primary narrative charts, right? Like, um, and I look at them and they inspire me to be like, oh, I forgot about that chart. I could create that. Mm-hmm. I guess the key thing I would just say is like, have it inspire you and. Think about how you can build on it with the kids who are in the classroom in front of you now. Right. It kind of makes me think about the fact that I save packing lists now that I do. I have them on my computer. And even though I'm not taking the exact same trip, if I'm going to the beach, I'll use the beach packing list. I'm not going to use the go to my parents' house for a week packing list. You'll tweak it a little bit. Yeah. Regardless, it's going to be tweaked because of time of year, who's going, what we're doing. So it's a little bit like that. And I think when we can use those old charts to inspire new ones and to make them even better, then we are, you know, again, helping kids in the end in front of us. Mm -hmm. So to close it out, what are some final tips that you can share when thinking about making charts? Yeah, I feel like I say this in almost every conversation we have, um, but don't let perfect get in the way of good. I think people get really caught up in having charts be beautiful and perfect, and mm-hmm. they don't need to be. They need to be used and accessed by kids. So even if kids are writing on them and their writing isn't perfect and neat, but but beautiful kids writing. That's okay. Um, So that's one thing. Okay. Uh, If the perfection is a really hard thing to get over, sticky notes are a really great friend. So use sticky notes. And that way, if you're like, I just can't live with that mistake on there, you can take that sticky note off and redo just the sticky note. You don't have to redo the entire chart. That's kind of a cool thing too. So smart. Um, Fall in love with a set of pens. Like, (laughs) I know what markers I like. 
I know how they feel. I know how like the tip hits the paper. Do you know what I mean? Like some markers hit paper differently. Oh yeah. I mean, this could be its own podcast about writing supplies. So yes, let's leave it at that. Podcast on pen tips, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. the impact on, on the creator. Yes. So learn the pens that you love that just make you happy to make a, to make a chart. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're making them day after day, you need to be happy with your tools. Yeah, to be happy with your tools. Um, I would also say think a lot about color and print that goes on them. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't need to be like a million different colors. It shouldn't be. That gets Mm -hmm. distracting. You want to think about kids who have um, sensitivity to visual stimulation and processing issues that involve any kind of print. And you want to make sure that whatever you create is as accessible as it can be to as many kids who are in front of you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I know that one's near and dear to your heart. It sure is. You are speaking my language. Uh, So... Yeah. Anything else that you want to add? Or, I mean, those are really good tips. So. Yeah. Use it. Just be on a constant mission of wondering, is this being used by kids? Mm-hmm. Like, is this a powerful teacher for the students in my room? And you, you, when you start looking at it through that lens, you make really good decisions about the charts that you make. I think with that, we should end right there. So thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge about chart making. And I know I am inspired to go and grab a very large piece of chart paper and some markers and get charting right now. So thank you so much, Melanie. Absolutely. One of my favorite topics. Thank you for listening to the Two Writing Teachers podcast. Check out the show notes for links to the items we mentioned in this episode, as well as ways to connect with us. For more about the teaching of writing, head over to the Two Writing Teachers blog at twowritingteachers.org. If you liked what you heard today, please share it with your friends and colleagues, post about it on social media, like, subscribe, and leave us ratings and reviews. Our music is by Lemon Music Studio. If you'd like to connect with us, email us at contact at twowritingteachers.org. Thanks again for listening. Let's teach, learn, and write on together.